What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 98 of the Lombard Trucking Show. This is take two, by the way. If you tuned in last time live, yeah, you understand we had a few Wi-Fi issues out there in the oil fields of West Texas when I brought on uh, my guests. So I brought him back onto the show. And for those of you listening on Spotify uh, and Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, this will be your first time hearing it. So you're getting it uh you're getting it in the best quality and the best way you can. So we have, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things uh, before I bring them on the show. Just a couple uh, quick announcements. I know it's been a few weeks since I've released an episode that definitely will change. It's been hectic with the change of get, of transitioning off the road and getting into recruiting. There's a lot I definitely want to talk about. Um, there's a lot of good content related to the transportation industry that has everything to do with the driver recruiting side of the job. It's a whole different threshold of the industry that has, in a way, uh, much solidified a lot of the narrative of the show and the guests on the show and basically the, you know, everything that regarding the truth of what they're trying to, of what we're trying to prove uh, going on within the industry, like things related to the driver shortage narrative, which is the crux of a lot of what I'm doing and what a lot of us in the, the police advisory has been doing, but more on that later, you'll definitely be seeing more co content episode hundred looking to have another round table on here, but without any further delay, I want to bring on my guest. He is a Marine Corps veteran, Iraq war and veteran, uh, Iraq war veteran. He served seven years as a Texas law enforcement officer, mostly on the commercial vehicle side with Texas's Department of Public Safety. He's now an adjunct, pre, adjunct professor at Midland College out there in West Texas, and he's the owner and operator of Safety and Compliance Training Company. Without any further delay, let's bring him back onto the show, Mr. Santiago Talamantes. Welcome back, sir. Uh, thanks, Mike. Better uh, better conditions this time, man. I'm, I'm comfortable at home with good Wi-Fi, so no, no hiccups this go around. Yeah, I know West Texas. I'm not gonna lie that stretch of that stretch of twenty there. Yeah, you'll run into some dead spots, but I'm surprised too. Yeah. That hotel. I'm about to write a five. I'm, I'm gonna have to drop a Google review on them. Yeah, every every one that I've stayed at, um, and that one that I was staying at, it's actually literally a, a two minutes from the uh, main campus, and that's the reason I choose to stay there is because it's so close and. Uh, it's actually in a better, it's actually closer to the middle of town, uh, but I don't know what it was, but that Wi-Fi was just horrible. And then the previous hotel, I say that the Wi-Fi is good, but it's also, you know, it takes me, it's a 10, 15 minute drive to the main campus where I usually do the uh, class at. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's hey. just the, that's just what comes with being out there in the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah, it happens. Maybe there's some solar flares going on. Who knows? We couldn't, right. uh, well, we'll, we'll soon, we'll soon figure out, but sure. anyways, I'm glad to have you back. So let's, uh, you know, let's start right from the top, man. What's, what's your story? You know, where, where are you from? And, you know, walk us up, you know, everything Marine Corps. Let's see, you know, you're, you're an interesting guy. We, yeah. we definitely want to get this story out there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, uh, I know that there's probably a good, you know, amount that, uh, heard our, our last, uh, our last episode, uh, for, I mean, the, however long it was but i'll kind of summarize it only because i'd like to uh you know you get into more about whatever um you know people are curious about but i mean i just i grew up out in west texas um i left a marine boot camp 10 days after i graduated high school 
Um, I uh, joined us in 0311. You know, I told you last time I the, the video kind of got me. Um, but I went straight in because I knew that to be a, you know, in order for me to be able to get into the uh, Department of Public Safety, because I knew when I was a senior in high school that I wanted to be a trooper. And uh, that's actually a long story, too, where um, there's uh, there's a trooper that used to let me ride along with him when I was in high school. His name was Kurt Knapp. And uh, I didn't have a very pleasant uh, senior year of high school. Uh, I I had a, a cousin that was a county deputy that I had started to ride along with. You know, I grew an interest in the profession. Um and when I had when I had signed up for Marine, uh, you know, when I signed up for the Marine Corps, I, I actually signed up the first week of my senior year of high school. And uh, it wasn't maybe a few months later is when I had, um, you know, doing did some ride alongs with a cousin of mine. And that's how I ended up. He was good friends with the trooper. And um, one day that that guy ended up inviting me on a ride along with him. And the very first time I got in a black and white and was just chasing down people. I mean, that's a rush that you can't you can't uh, replace. And so even I mean, I was I'm, you know, this 17 year old kid in high school. And uh, but anyway, he uh, we, we we got to be pretty good friends. I mean, I would go visit him at his house at times. And, you know, he was, I think, probably 25 at the time. And I'm just this 17 year old kid. So he had no he had no reason to be like as nice as he was to me. And, um, but anyway, um, I knew that I needed to go, you know, it's either you had to have uh, uh, 60 hours of college or you needed to have at least three years of military, three years of law enforcement, uh, three years of working like in a County jail or for the state. And that's the path I chose. Um, I obviously chose the Marine Corps cause it was, you know, the, it was, I mean, the, what, stood out above everybody else so i go to boot camp um san diego graduate 1072 delta uh august 25th 2000 it's funny how you never forget that stuff um but anyway um did my time um uh, i pinned on pretty quick you know uh corporal right at about a year a little over a year in and then uh sergeant at two years two years two months i think and then 10 days after I pinned on Sergeant in January of, of 2003 is when I uh, deployed to Iraq. Um, and just to, just to show how the story, you know, uh, how the story correlates to uh, Kurt, when I was on the leave before uh, deploying to Iraq, I saw him um, and, and I remember he was training a partner and I remember I saw him at the county jail because I was there visiting my dad and he happened to walk in and I hadn't seen him. You know, I, I would talk to him here and there. But I mean, in those days, like not everybody had cell phones, you know, talking about the early 2000s. But I saw him and um, I was like, hey, man, you know, I only got a year. And, you know, that was January of 03 and my EAS date was May of 04. So I remember telling him like, hey, man, I got a year and a few months and I'll be out. And, you know, my my dream was to always, you know, go get an academy, graduate and go um, go, you know, work alongside him. So I go to Iraq and um, 
let, let me let me also add it, this in here because he deserves just as much credit. But the reason that I actually met Kurt as well, the sergeant they had at the time, his name was Carl Mayfield, and he was a reservist, a first sergeant reservist with a Motor T battalion in Lubbock. And my dad, him and my dad were friends. So I, he going being that I was going into the Marine Corps, he asked if my dad asked him, hey, will you will you uh, talk to Santiago and just give him some pointers about going into the Marine Corps? And he had already been, you know, working for the DPS probably for I mean, at that time, I don't know how long he'd been in, probably, you know, um, I'd say, you know, close to that 20 year mark, at least 18 to 20 years. So he was a seasoned not only um, sergeant in the in the highway patrol, but he was, you know, he he was a first sergeant. So he'd been in for a while. Um, but he, you know, I got to talking with him and, you know, becoming kind of semi friends with him is is just what leaned me towards. Hey, when I get into law enforcement, I want to be in I want to be with those guys. And. <laughs> So when I was in Iraq, he was actually deployed at the same time. This is Carl. This is the his his sergeant. So Kurt's sergeant is Carl. We're deployed Kurt's, Iraq. Kurt's who you did the ride alongs with. Kurt, Kurt's the the trooper. Carl is the sergeant. Carl is the first sar- marine first sergeant in the reserves who gets uh, deployed, activated, and deployed to Iraq. And we we wrote letters to each other while we were both deployed. Um, so anyway, I mean. I kind of became friends with both of them, you know, but during that time that I was on active duty, you know, I didn't see him very often, but I did see Kurt before I deployed. So I, uh, I, I go to Iraq, come back. Um, and in May of 2004, when, when I pick up, like I, I'm in 29 Palms, I pick up my discharge papers, right. And I'm driving back here to Texas and it's like a 15, 16 hour drive from 29 Palms. And, I, and when I'm about, three hours from getting home. My dad calls me at seven in the morning and uh, he says like, Hey man, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but like Kurt's gone. And like, like, what do you mean? Kurt's gone. He's like, he died in a wreck last night. I'm like, what? Like, like there's no way, man. There, uh, sure enough, what had happened is Kurt was uh, working on I-10 um, out, outside of comfort on a, on a drizzling night. And he went to cut across the median and his black and white hydroplane. And he ended up getting T-boned by a car that was coming in the opposite, you know, the opposite direction. And he got airlifted to San Antonio. I, I, I don't remember the exact time. I want to say it happened about 1130 at night, you know, somewhere. And he died sometime after midnight. Um, that, that really hurt, you know, like, uh, you know, because at the time I'm thinking like this is a 25 year old dude with a wife and two kids or whatever. I, You know, he had young kids. And, you know, I'm just like, what the hell, man? Uh, never got to see him again. And if you ever drive on I-10 between uh, uh, it's just outside of comfort, I think, like if you're on I-10 going west or east, you'll see there's a, a stretch of highway that's dedicated in his name. You know, it's uh, in, in memory of, of Kurt Knapp. And uh, he's buried in Kerrville, where he was from. Um, I go visit his grave every so often. But uh, when when I when I finally got into the highway patrol a month before I started the academy, mm-hmm. I actually got hit um, a tombstone tattooed on my left arm with his name in it, and a pair of handcuffs at the bottom of the tombstone, and a and a cowboy hat on the you know laying on the side of the uh, tombstone. 
And uh, so every day that uh, like when there when you're in the academy, so the academy is 28 weeks long. I, I mentioned it to you last time. But in the chow hall, when you come out of the chow hall doors um, and, and there it's very boot camp like ran, like you have to walk along the sides of the walls. You can't talk to anybody. You're like, you know, you have to like march where when you're walking like so you don't just round a corner you like step and pivot you know you're they they you know and then it sucks because us that were prior military we have to teach all the non-military people you know we had to teach them how to make their beds and do the hospital corners and all that stuff but anyway when you come out of the chow hall right as you walk out there's a big old um there's a big memorial for all the troopers who have died in the line of duty and his pictures on there and every every time i come out man it didn't matter if it was breakfast lunch and dinner every time we came out i look at his picture and i like in a joking way kind of look at him like mom like i'm here going through this bullshit because of you you know uh because you know it's a long it's a long time and 20 weeks a long time you know and uh it's it wasn't difficult but it was it sucked man you know there's some parts of it that, that uh a little bit more difficult than others but the biggest thing is like it's just so long and you know so i'd look at his picture and kind of like man i'm here because of you like whatever um but anyway when um when you uh when you're in there right so they they have what they call the five minutes of fame so you have to get up in front of everybody in the classroom and you have to talk about yourself right and the counselors that you have, they're kind of like your your DIs, you know, they kind of just, you know, not as intense, obviously, but they they kind of guide you along the way. But they uh, when you're talking about yourself, they kind of pick at you, you know, they're like, you know, making fun of you or whatever, you know, it's just it's on fun. I mean, everybody goes through it. So when I get up there, you know, I start to tell this story about Kurt, like, this is why I'm here. Like, let me let me explain why I'm here. And I. I didn't get messed with one minute the whole time because they were just list. Like I saw where I had everybody's attention because of telling that story of how I never got to see him again and that he was the reason I was there. Um, and uh, so that, that was tough for me, you know, like uh, because that was, you know, I, I, that was a guy that was so good to me that I never got to see again. Um, and then it doesn't end there. So when I'm in the academy, I get told that Carl, the sergeant, had contracted some kind of like, I don't know if it was a bacterial infection or something when he was deployed and he's not doing good. So I, I one of the weeks that we had, you know, an, an extra day off, I went to go see him. And this guy went from being like probably about a, you know, 170 180 pounds of solid steel this guy would run every day he's kind of like another mike lombard you know just running <laughs> miles at a time um but he um he had lost a lot of weight man you know he had that like sunken in face look and stuff and um i knew he wasn't doing good um after i graduate i go visit him at his house and he's already on hospice at this time and you know he's like you know sucking on a on a popsicle or something and i'm just looking at him like i can't believe this is the guy that you know just a few years ago i was like terrified of and he was he was he was a very well respected um sergeant like a well respected person like everybody was just he just commanded respect one of those guys that walks in and you just like you know you don't mess with him 
he ended up passing away January of 07. Um, and it really sucks because, because he didn't die in the line of duty. Like he doesn't get remembered, you know, there's no memorial or anything else to him. And, and that sucks because he was such a pivotal figure for me at the time too, such a mentor, just like Kurt was. And it sucks that he doesn't get that recognition because he didn't die in a line of duty. Um, but yeah, man, that was, you know, the, you know, early on and, you know, I mean, I had, I hadn't even been in a year at that time. Um, so it, it, it came with its, uh, it came with its tragedy along the way, but you know, I, uh, and then just to add the, the, uh, more coincidence to it, Carl was one of the counselors mm -hmm. when Kurt went through the Academy, you know, so that they just, it just was all like, you know, kind of intertwined together with uh those two guys playing such a role in my life but um i go visit um kurt's grave it's there in kerrville uh right off of 16 um i go visit him usually um he's he's actually about to hit the, his birthday will be here in a in a few days i want to say it's the 17th or 18th of uh october but uh you know a couple of times i've been out there I, i'll polish his grave you know kind of clean it up and um but yeah and um, anyway, just to, uh, uh, you know, aside from that, um, I spent a year highway patrol, transferred over to the commercial vehicle side and did that for five, five and a half, six years, whatever it was. And then in 2012 is when I got recruited by a trucking company. I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time, but it was, uh, you know, it just came at a time when I had like my highest level of frustration with the state. Um, had a very micromanaging chain of command that I wasn't, didn't have a pleasant relationship with at times. And so they, they kind of made it easy for me to not want to, they didn't make it hard for me to want to leave. And uh, so I ended up jumping gun, man. And um, I mean, I've had to tell that story so many times because, you know, when you leave seven to eight years into a job like that, people think you got fired, you know, and uh, I show everybody my discharge papers like, no, man, here's my disarmable discharge from the state. Um, and yeah, so then I started, I transitioned that company, hired me to be a DOT manager, started learning how it worked on the company side. And right away I saw like, man, I thought I knew and I didn't know. Um, and I quickly realized there's way more to managing DOT compliance on the company side than me just pulling you over and walking around and tell you everything you got wrong. And, uh, so I started doing that, transitioned into being uh, a safety guy, an OSHA guy. Um, and then I moved to Midland originally in 2013, um, started going to formal training uh, after I had uh, gotten my first position as a field safety advisor with a heavy haul company. And it just kind of uh, from there is that that was the inception of me trying to be a duly trained, duly educated um you know, compliance professional where I kind of already knew the trucking stuff, but now learning the OSHA stuff was brand new to me. Um, and, you know, going through Texas, through Texas A&M's uh, safety and health official program really helped me out. And then in 2017, I moved to San Antonio at one of my first safety manager gig. And um, I worked, I did that for a couple of years, finally progressed to a corporate safety uh, director gig with that company in Houston. I started that in 19 and then it was in May of 2020 when I told you I ended up getting laid off by, uh, by them during COVID in the middle of COVID. 
I kind of volunteered myself too because I was the highest paid safety rep in, in all the companies and I already knew I was going to branch off on my own. So I decided like I had told my boss, so I reported to the COO, like if we have to let someone else go next, like I'll go because I'd rather you keep the, the field safety guys who are lower level, you know, and, you know, if, if someone's going to go like I'll, I'll go. And um, so I did. Um, and from there, it just, uh, you know, it spiraled on. But I had already had the plans to work for myself. Um, and having both roles or understanding both professions of being a DOT manager, but a safety manager, I knew that I had a greater chance of excelling because most safety professionals only know one, uh, they don't, they're only versed, well-versed in one area. And, you know, when I, I knew that when I walked into somebody's office that I was, you know, trying to pitch my services to. You know, um, they they primarily reach out because they wanted help with their DOT stuff, right? But I could be sitting there and see that they're missing like exit signs on their doors. I see that they don't have an emergency action plan. I see their fire extinguishers missing service tags. So, being able to point that out, I'm like, hey, by the way, do you have a safety professional or do you have a safety manager? Because if you do, like, y'all, you've got some OSHA violations in this office or in this shop too. And, um, you know, so that that kind of helped me out at the same time because then people saw like okay well I can just you know have this guy help me out and he can get me going um but what I had mentioned before that I didn't what I didn't um foresee happening was when I was managing a DOT uh program for a company full time it it excelled and it and it worked because I was there full time when I started contracting I saw right away, there's no way that I can come to your office once or twice a month and look you in the face and tell you 100% that your stuff's like ready um, because you have to be there full time, you know. So now, like, you know, ironically, today I had two I had two companies reach out that um, that uh, inquired about me, about me meeting with them to, to help them with their, you know, to pitch my services or whatever. And everybody these days, when as soon as they reach out, the very first question I have for them is, do you have someone that can that is there full time? Because I can coach that employee and train them and as much as I can. But if you think I'm going to come in and fix fix your issues, like it's not going to happen. Like you need someone there all the time. And, um, you know, that's it's, it's probably cost me some money, but. I'd rather be honest and look at an owner and say, you know what, man, you're better off just hiring someone full time because that's what it takes to manage this, you know, and that's in, in its infancy. When I was when I noticed that right away with the companies I was contracted to, that's when I had, you know, developed the idea. Well, you know what, if I can't contract with your company, why don't you send me your employee for three days and I'll train them on what I know is supposed to be done, because number one. I was in enforcement, but more importantly, I sat in their shoes for eight years. I actually sat in their shoes longer than I sat in uniform. So I know what re what's required of them to manage your program, not only for, you know, because you want to pass an audit, but, you know, and, and I tell the, the students that come through my DOT manager course these days, like what I'm really trying to prepare you for is the day that you get a call from, you know, your driver saying, you know, hey, Mike, uh, I just uh, was just in a wreck and uh, 
the family that was in the van that I hit, they're all dead. That's what I'm really trying to get you ready for, because that same driver file that I'm trying to coach you how to put together, that vehicle maintenance file that I'm trying to coach you to put together, that same file that the DOT investigator doing your audit is going to check is the same one that that plaintiff attorney is going to subpoena. And when you have deficiencies in there, I, as the plaintiff attorney, I'm going to point that out to the judge or the jury, you know, to use as compelling evidence to say, look, this company's been they've been in business for five years and they don't even know how to put their driver files together. You know what I mean? So, but I think that's why I've had so many people attend the class at, you know, now is because I'm able to relate to them so much because I was in their shoes. And that's what makes me different from the average, you know, DOT consultant or safety company is, you know, not only was I in enforcement, but there's other retired troopers, there's retired troopers that do it. But what one step for one step further from that is I worked on the company side for that much time, you know, for eight years. That's why when I coach them and, and, and train them in the in the manager course, I can tell them what's going to happen because I sat in their shoes. But then a step above that, I'm also a safety guy, so I can completely switch the hat from going and talking about, you know, the hours of service to talking about hazard communication with and with you know, chemicals in your, in the workplace and the hazards of the chemicals and stuff. So, you know, that's just what, you know, for me kind of set me apart and knew that I had a unique perspective when uh, it came to trying to train um, people to be safety professionals, because I have a very good understanding both educationally and with experience by managing programs for, you know, at that last company was 500 plus with multiple locations in other States. So, um, yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's kind of to where I'm at now. And now I spend most of my time doing training. Um, I do it in person. I'm trying to transition to doing uh, online now. And, uh, you know, I knew that um, at some point that I would try to gain, like, I knew it was going to take some time, you know, busting my ass going around the state and everywhere else trying to make a name for myself. And I think at this point, I've had, you know, not a, not a, not a really grand following, but at enough to where when people go look at my um they look at my website they read my google reviews they read my facebook reviews they see my small following on tiktok they can see like well there's a reason they're listening to this guy and you know now i think with the what the help of that behind me is um you know now my focus is to try to um you know take what i've done in person and and do a lot of it online because that's a greater reach you know um, I've heard you mention, you know, I've heard you talk in other, you know, I've seen other uh, clips of your stuff where people talk about the driver shortages and whatever. But, you know, as of two months ago, there's four million drivers in the U.S. and there's one point eight six million for hire companies. So there's not a shortage of there's not a shortage of trucking, man, that <laughs> the 90 90 percent of, you know, goods, 90 percent of goods transported into the imported into the U.S. is all by truck. You know, like that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um but, uh, you know, my focus now, like, you know, mentioned is I, I actually try to coach drivers more than anything. I'm trying to I'm, I'm more leaning on the company side, obviously. You know, I mean, um, I'm kind of torn in the middle where, you know, I get frustrated when um, I hear about DOT officers doing things that they shouldn't be doing, um, you know, but at the same time, like that's always going to be in my blood, man. Like, you know, some of my closest friends are still in it. But at the same time, you know, my focus really is like I'm trying to help the drivers, you know, 
And like, I, I think I'm not sure if we had talked about it before, but, you know, I had mentioned to you that I'm trying to coach them so that they understand what's going to happen when they are involved in an incident is that, you know, when you're, when you're being deposed or you're on a stand in court, they're not going to ask you to back up into a parking spot. They're not, they're not going to ask you to flip a truck around. They're going to ask you something as simple as where are your triangles supposed to go? And when you can answer something that simple, but you've been driving for 20 years, how does that make you look to the judge or the jury? You know, like this guy's been driving 20 years. He can't even answer these things, you know, and that's what they do because I've seen it. You know, I've testified in, in litigation cases, you know, when I was in uniform and outside of uniform and that's what, that's what happens, you know? So I, I, I want to try to help prepare the drivers as much as I can. But like I told you, man, <laughs> there's not one group that corrects me more about the regulations I used to enforce than a truck driver. So, um, you know, that's just comes with the territory. But then on the other side, I do have the ones that really, you know, they'll reach out and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll tell me like, Hey, thank you so much, man. Because, you know, I didn't know this, you know, if, if I could only tell you, man, the number of times that I've heard in the last three, three and a half years, I've always been told, I've always been told, my buddy told me, man, if I could only tell you how many times I've heard that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I like to, you know, approach my side of the industry like you do, you know, and, and just being, you know, sort of a purveyor of truth. And, you know, that's why like anything I post, man, you'll see that I, I, I show the literature with it, you know, even something as simple as, you know, I, uh, I posted a video two days ago where, I explained how to get your USDOT number for free. And, you know, even then, like with everything I do, I know there's going to be some people that don't believe me. So that's why I purposely show in there. Here's FMCSA's website where they say we do not charge for a USDOT number, <laughs> you know. So everything that I do, everything that I say, there's somewhere that it says it. Like I know that there's a literature somewhere in a, not only just in the regulation book, but in other, you know, other legal correspondence that I know where it says it. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to bust a lot of those myths that, that drivers think they know and, and clear up some of the, um, you know, the unfortunate times when they're, they're not being, um, you know, they're not being treated fairly during a roadside inspection. And, and I know that happens, man. I, I've said it when I was in uniform and I've said it outside of uniform. There's a lot of people that shouldn't be doing that job. You know, it's a very complex, um, it's a very complex job, you know, to be a DOT officer. Um, and, you know, but that's like any, any profession, man, there's, there's, there's always going to be groups, people that shouldn't be doing it, you know, but that one, because it, it affects, it affects, um, it affects so many people, you know, directly and indirectly, is, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely not as, they're not as prepared as they should be. And that's the one, you know, regret that I have now that I've been, you know, on this side for so long is that I wish I had been as educated as I should have been. And I wish I knew how much it affects, you know, when I write that violation that I'm like, eh, I'm not really sure, but I'm just going to write it anyway. I wish I knew how much it affects drivers and companies, because if I would have known that back then, I would have been a lot more, um, you know, I, w I would have definitely been a lot more, my, su my, my subjectiveness would have been a lot more lighter than it was, um, you know, but 
now I can only make up for it by trying to help the industry side, you know, and, um, you know, those that want the knowledge, great. Those that don't want it and want to find it somewhere else, pay whatever. I don't care. It doesn't bother me, you know. Absolutely. We got a, we actually got a question show up here. Good sure. friend of mine, Willie, Willie Nelson, no relation, but he wants, he's got a question for you. He's asking what, what's a common coachable issue that you, you correct? Like when you go out there and talk to companies, I'm assuming what's, yeah. What do you think is like one of the biggest things that you're having to coach guys on? So what I like to primarily talk to the drivers about these days is the fact that, you know, back in uh, 2011, when CSA went into effect and they started, uh, you know, part of what was called the Safety Act, which created the PSP. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, you should be because you're recruiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what, what, what I try to tell the drivers is like, you know, every time that you're not doing a pre-trip, man, like every time you're, you're, you're not, you know, every time you're not checking the washer fluid, the triangles or whatever, right. Or even something that we talked about the permit book last time, those violations are going to show up in your, in your PSP for the next three years. And if I'm going to, if you're going to go try to hire on with a company, they're going to be able to see those behaviors, right? Cause if you, if, if you had a driver that you're, you know, the company you're trying to recruit for and you run a PSP and the PSP report shows you that they're, you know, regularly going over their hours. Why do you want to bring those behaviors to the company? Like you're not, they're not going to benefit from having a driver like that, but those same behaviors, like I said, you know, where if, if you have constant, if you have constant violations for, you know, uh, missing triangles or washer fluid or something like that. I mean, that not only affects you when you're trying to go work for another company, if they run that PSP, but if I see that on your history as a DOT officer, I'm like, dude, if you're getting written up for something as easy as triangles, what am I going to find under the hood? Because if you can't even take the time to pop a box and check triangles or you can't even take the time to check a book, what's what's underneath the hood? You know, so you got to remember that those behaviors are noticeable by everybody, you know, and then if you're a company. Those behaviors are what are what um, are what you communicate to the world. And, and that's where I've tried to, um, you know, coach on the company side, like, you know, cause you know, Mike, there's, there's companies that let their, their, they say that they have a policy that says don't go over your hours, but when that client needs a truck, they're going to, they're going to leave the truck, you know? And what I try to tell them is, you know, that's all going to be exposed when you, if, and when your guys get into an incident, because look at it this way and say, you tell a driver, Hey, you know what, man, just go ahead and stay out there on site. You know, they need the truck driver gets into a wreck on the way, kills someone. So now you're going to have a situation where the driver's going to have to explain why they still drove knowing they shouldn't have. Right. And immediately the driver's going to say, well, the company told me to do it. Right. But my, my rebuttal to that is did the company physically turn the ignition and press the, the, the pedal or did you do it? Right. And you knew you weren't supposed to drive, but you still did it, didn't you? But then I'm going to go at the company and say, so you allowed him to do it, right? And some of them are smart enough to not send it through text message or something, right? They know, like, oh, I'm going to tell you on the phone so there's no record of it. Yeah, you need the Qualcomm message. Yeah, like they're not going to send a Qualcomm, hey, go ahead and work 20 hours a day. But, you know, that's, again, those behaviors are what I'm going to use as that uh as that family's attorney to show the behaviors of your company. 
and that's all documented, man. And that's how it affects you, like in so many ways, because now if a PSP shows that that driver is regularly going over their hours and now you have an SMS profile that shows that that company has constant hours of service violations, I'm showing a pattern of behavior. And that's what attorneys love to prove, because once I can show that you have a pattern of behavior, how are you as a company going to defend that? You can say all day long, no, we have a, a policy that says drivers don't go over their hours. Well, how is it that every time DOT pulls them over, they're getting written up for hours of service violations? You see what I mean? And, you know, but nobody thinks about that. They just think, nope, we need the truck out there right now. We need to charge the client. We need to make those, you know, and then, of course, you, you know, the driver, the driver's not going to care because they're getting paid overtime or whatever. You know, and I just at the end of the day, tell them whatever behaviors you engage in, you're going to have to answer for. So do you have a logical, reasonable explanation for why you decided to drive over your hours and you ended up killing that family's father or their mother or their daughter, brother? Like, what are you going to say to that? Because if yeah. you think saying, oh, well, you know, I, I the, the company told me to stay out there. That's what I'm going to when I'm that defense, that uh, plaintiff attorney, I'm going to say, well, did the company go out there and and push the 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 uh, the gas pedal? Or did you did you did they turn the keys in the ignition or did you? And what are you going to say to that? You know, but but the average driver doesn't think that they don't they come in with such a complacent mindset, you know, because you go every day doing the same thing, um, you know, but it's that one day, you know, it's kind of like Murphy's Law, right? You can do your logbook a thousand days correct, right? And that one thousand and one day where you say like, oh, no, man, I don't feel like doing it. So that's the day the black and white pulls you over, right? Like it just that's the way it happens. And, you know, the, um, that's the one thing that I try to tell them is like, you know, take the proper time because, you know, all of this is all of this follows you, man. Like, you know, it stays with the company for two years, but it stays with you for three years. So if I can see those behaviors when you're not doing your pre-trip the right way, you know, why would I want to hire you? And that can prevent you from getting, you know, that one gig that you've been waiting for, you know, that company that pays good, they treat their drivers good, they have great retirement plans, but now you can't get in because, you know, for the last three years, you've been, you've been, you know, um, you, you haven't been taking it serious and you don't do your pre-trip. And now every time DOT pulls you over, you've got those little minor issues that you should have caught. And, you know, I just so wish really they would, I wish they would understand that a lot more. Yeah, it really boils down to those little things. Like I, I know I mentioned when we were recording live, the Pearsall County uh, rest area is a place where DPS likes to pull people in. And, yeah. like, and like we mentioned, having that permit book and a nice binder and your tires being inflated, your lights working, knowing where your triangles and fire extinguisher are. Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you have those boxes checked off, yeah, they're not going to ask for you to, to crack the hood. I do, I definitely, I, I do want to go back to, Number one, I, I want like when it comes to your I'm going all the way back to the beginning now when it comes to promotions in the military, because there are some veterans who listen to the show. And it's yep. such a crazy difference between you joining in 2000 because the numbers were probably so low and then they rose during the invasion of Iraq. But right. your promotion came so quickly because of probably the numbers being, being a little bit lower. And like and then when that need came. Is probably when the, the like you being in the zone was able to happen so quick because I know oh three oh three 11s when I was in and I was in from 08 to 12 like you basically had to do four years before you got corporal because there were so many so many grunts so it's crazy right. to see yeah. and and now it's a little bit different now guys are getting promoted quicker again because a lot of people are getting out a lot of 
people who are, aren't even doing 20 years are getting out. That's just a, it's a, a, a kind of a something that showed up. But what's what's awesome about this story, because I think you're you're at least one of the only guys. I don't know if there's anybody like you out there, because like if I was a police officer for 20 years and I worked in commercial motor vehicle enforcement, like say I did 20 years as a police officer, I retire. I'm 40, 45. That's going to be the first thing I do is because, you know, nobody retires in their 40s. Yeah. In a dream world, you wish you could just, you know, not work. But we all know that sure. an idle mind, you know, people get bored. You, you go stir crazy. If I was in my 40s, retired police officer or even 50, what, what, however old, that'd be the yeah. first thing I would go. And I worked in commercial vehicle enforcement. That'd be the first thing I would do. I'd be like, I'm going to go be a safety guy at a motor carrier. It's a Monday through Friday, seven right. to five. However, it works. That's what I do. But they're only coming at it. From, like you said, the law enforcement side where they just they're looking for what's wrong. You're not you're, like you don't know what it's like to be. You might meet owner operators and deal with carriers, but you haven't crossed that threshold of like working for a motor carrier. Yeah. Whereas you you did a good chunk of time, like, you know, whether you did five years or 20, I'm sure <laughs> it, it I'm sure it get, becomes just as repetitive for the driver as it does being on on the DOT enforcement sign, yeah. you start to see, you know, there, we don't, we don't call it, you know, it's not, you know, they're not, you know, stereotypes sometimes exist for a reason, but there are trends with the certain make and models of trucks. You see the types of drivers, you see what they're wearing, everything like that. And they start to blend together. So whether you do five and a half or, or 20 years, but then yeah. you left that, you go to the company with that, with that experience, and, and still early on in your career. And I think that's what kind of said, because if I'm retired and this is what makes you different from anybody else who comes from law enforcement is because if I'm retired and I'm 50 and I'm going into that job, a 50 year old is not going to have the same type of motivation, drive, passion, or kind of want to kind of get in as deep as you did. Whereas you did a short amount of time, you get into it still at a young age, you go over to the company and and then and then the company starts seeing your value, but so you've gotten the best of both worlds. And so through essentially almost fourteen years of doing it from the enforcement side, then on the corporate side, you're now at the age where probably some police officers are thinking about retiring. Now yep. you have this wealth that you're able to combine. And I don't know if there's anybody like that in the country doing what you're doing. What's crazy and awesome about this story is. You always hear about when people at corporate jobs have to go to a safety seminar or go to a training or have, you know, yearly conferences or, yeah, they have to go to a three day course. And it's like and I've never heard like, uh, for example, like I, I work as a fitness coach at Orange Theory as well. They're going to a convention where there's probably people from the fitness industry who've designed things from X, Y, Z. They've gotten this experience experience. Same thing when you go to these like conferences where people give events. You never know where the like I, I've gone to trainings before and you never know where the trainings come from or the story of it. And what yeah. I think is fascinating is like hearing the actual story of what is now an accredited college course training that's, you know, uh, you know, a training that's accredited in so many different ways. But not only that, what you're doing and what you're describing, because what you're doing and, and you know, definitely explain on this if, the, if this is where you're going is like. I think this is how we change the game of how DOT overall can enforce, you know, enforce, uh, you know, FMCSA rules 
throughout the entire country. What you're doing, I know you're. I know that the laws sometimes vary, but for the most part, commercial vehicle stuff is kind of the same. I know weights and hazmat and you know lengths of the tires to the right. fifth wheel. All, some of that is state by state, but for the most part, I think the course the course you're set on is you could change how you can almost you're, you're bridging the gap between a DOT officer and motor carriers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned that, um, you know, when you when you look at these retired guys that do it, you know, and and all the respect to them, you know, um, but there's a reason that when you when you Google, if you were just to go Google DOT compliance training, it's very hard to find any because what I what I think is that most of these uh, DOT consultants or safety companies, they don't want to teach you what they're hoping you're going to contract them for. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what I explained last time, man, like these 300, almost 360 people that have sat through my class, there's a possibility that I could have maybe contracted with their company, but because I'm being humble enough and honest enough to say, no, I'd rather train your employee who's employed full time. I would, I would rather coach them and teach them what they need to know because I can't manage your program. And there's a lot of that that goes on. You know, there's there's companies that will charge you, you know, two, three thousand dollars a month. And then when you go, you know, you're not really getting that any value out of it, you know, but some companies don't care. You know, they're like, well, this is just an insurance policy. That's great. But what I've found is that when when there are that when there are those situations, if you go look at the company that that someone is that someone uh, has contracted they're very vague in their information, right? Like it'll say, you know, they'll have like uh, their website or whether it's a generic website or a nice looking website, but it'll say something like, you know, our team of expert consultants have over 35 or over 50 years or whatever, but okay. But what does that mean? You know, with over 70 years in the industry. Okay. But were you a dispatcher or what did you, what, what is it that, why would you want to contract with that person? And uh, I didn't want to have that situation. So I was always very transparent. Like, if you go to my website, you see my background because, you know, and I even tell the students that come to my class and I ask them straight up when you before you came here, did you go Google who was going to teach you this stuff? And uh, and to my surprise, a lot of them don't. I'm like, why would you not? Shouldn't you shouldn't you be assured that who you're going to go listen to is worth listening to? Like, why should you come listen to me? Uh, some of them, you know, I'm like, how many of y'all want to go read the reviews about this class? Uh, you know, there might be a, a, ha- a couple of hands that go up. I'm like, man, if I'm going to buy something on Amazon, man, I go read the reviews and the latest reviews. Right. And that's yeah, what everybody man. should. That's what everybody should be doing, man. And, you know, to anybody out there that is thinking about hiring a safety company or whatever, you know, the one thing that I will uh, caution you on is number one. Make sure that they're credible. Make sure that they're they're someone that's worth hiring on. That's actually going to help your company, you know, but two, and this is something else that you can always look out for because um, what I've, I've what I've also found is there's there's been a handful of companies and they've all been in West Texas that have reached out to me and said, hey, can you come in and tell us like what our company looks like? Right. They'll come. They'll call me to go do an assessment and, you know they had a they had a previous safety company or they had a a freelance person which is even more like uh, should be skeptical of um 
like a self-taught DOT person. Um, and they don't have anything in order. Like they had them contracted for six, eight, nine, ten months paying 10 grand a month, I think was the most egregious one. And there was three papers in a driver file. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, man, but the other practices and something that I've noticed they, they like to do. And it's gotten so bad that I'm actually going to offer a free training sometime out in West Texas just to do it. And I think I'm going to do it in San Antonio also. But uh, when you go run your, um, you know, like you run your safer report or your SMS and you look at your your MCS 150, right? They'll use their email address to to log in all your stuff, right? Your portal and everything else. And three of three of the at least three of the companies that reached out to me, I ended up having to call FMCSA to reset all their stuff because that previous safety company had used their own email address and was holding it like kind of for ransom, saying, "Well, if you pay this last invoice." We'll, we'll we'll give you the password or we'll give you the code so you can get into your portal and i'm like dude that that right there is already a a a red flag you know because anybody that i've ever helped i don't i don't use my email like i'm not your employee you know and and like i said I, it's it's happened so many times already that i want to i'm gonna do just a free like you know two two or three hour free dot workshop to make people aware of that practice. And just to prove my point, because I'm so confident in this, I'm going to give them the, the driver qualification that I do in my, in my uh, audit seminar, or even in, in the DOT class, I'm going to show them, look, to properly qualify a driver, this is everything that's supposed to be done. This is what it says in federal law in 391. And just to go prove it, you know, take this back and go look at the driver files that they put together for you. And I guarantee you that I would almost bet, anybody in the class or anybody that attends that their files aren't going to be done correctly. Like I just know because man, at this point, dude, like I don't even know how many companies I've done assessments on and I've never to this day since let's say 2013, 14, I've never done an assessment on a company that had their documentation correctly. Uh, well, I, I, I would, I 100% agree with that because of, just the state of the industry. And, and this is kind of where, this is kind of where the purpose of this show, you know, meets what you're doing, because on one end, you have three different types of carriers out there. You have like large re legacy retail carriers. You do have small independent owner operators. Right. And, and then you have, uh, you know, Eastern European crime syndicates, grifters out there. And these carriers, the ones who see it, So that's the thing, the ones who can afford it, they either, they do have an internal, like the Swift Knights and stuff. They probably have a lot of internal yeah. people. You, you know, we had mentioned that the last time we recorded, like they're the ones who always have the, the trucks that will always pass. But in right. between the large, you know, which is the majority of the trucking industry, which is small fleets between one and five trucks. That's the majority of who moves like spot market freight in the U.S. These guys, that's the thing. They're so, this industry has been, uh, you know, uh, been invaded by, YouTube course sellers. That's the new grift. The new yeah. grifting is, is coaching. They're masking it as consulting because they read the green book. Um, you know, they, they, yeah, they watched some YouTube videos. They learned about safety and they know three things more than somebody at the carrier. Then they go in and they sell it for some egregious price, yeah. like, like you said. And so the carriers who can afford something like that, because the, the fact is carriers profit margins are razor thin. And so when it comes to staying compliant, 
it's a it's a everyday battle to stay compliant and that's just with one driver of one truck to stay say you know to stay good now you times it by five and you you'll still a fleet of five trucks is still being sort of managed by the one guy who owns the mc whether he's 1099ing his drivers or yep. not so it's like the guys who can afford it that's where they're going to go first they're going to google a dot compliance guy they're going to fight they're going to find joe dickhead who's selling this for three grand. He'll come in for three days. He'll, you know, probably, you know, screw around on Twitter and do whatever. And then, yeah, he'll put three pieces of paper in your file. He'll send you an invoice and you do it. And But when in reality, the companies just need to little, dig a little bit deeper. Like you need to get below surface level because, yeah, I agree. Most of the carriers out there, I guarantee you can even find I'm sure that there are mega carriers who, who have drivers out of compliance. They probably still have drivers on file that don't work there anymore or yep. drivers who are dead, who they still have stuff on, <laughs> like all, all sorts of stuff. It's sure. got to be an absolute mess. And it's like, you know, that that's what I found. So that's what's enticing about your TikTok profile, because there's not a lot of a lot of people because, yeah, like you said, with the truckers, like how it's always been like this. They told me. TikTok is full of drivers who are like, this is how you need to do it. This is how you do it. This yeah, is what's compliant. That. And you'll have a thousand comments who are like, you're wrong. This is the, like, <laughs> oh, wait, everybody's wrong. I'm always right. right. It's, and that's how the industry is. It's, it's either it's always been this way or I was told it was this way. And I was told this. It's been like this for 25 years. But right. really, it's ever changing. It's ever evolving. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I saw the I saw the, the the I saw the duet and stuff, the stitch with the guy that was like, oh, you know, I, I just started and I'm making 40 grand a week or whatever. Some egregious number. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like uh, so the uh, there was someone that commented on that video from two days ago about the free USDOT. And, um, you know, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt, but the comment was like, man my buddy or someone just paid three grand to get all this set up. And I'm like, golly, dude, like you, you got screwed royally. Um, probably, probably paying you know, my boy G face. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's, it's not only um, my goal to, you know, better educate drivers and carriers, but it's also saving them money, man. Like, you know, if I wanted to, I could advertise on my website, Hey, uh, pay me 300 bucks and I'll get you your USDOT number. You know, like I could do that if I wanted to, I could charge for these services that don't cost them in anything, but I would rather them save that money because I know how hard it is to be startup. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And I can imagine how much harder it is when you're trying to start up, you know, trucking as opposed to what I'm doing. Cause I don't have any overhead costs, you know, but, um, you know, that's what I do. And in those three days of the manager training, I don't just coach them. I even show them like how to save money, you know, um, because I worked on the company side and I knew, man, we need to try to save as much money as I can, not only because that helps the overall, you know, profitability of the company, but it also justifies my um, existence more when I'm not just here to, you know, tell us what we need to do right, but, or tell us what we're doing wrong, but trying to save the company money wherever I can, you know, and, you know, so that's another goal of that course is, you know, Hey, you know, you only need your USDOT number and your company name. You don't have to have your MC number and your, you know, last for your eight digits of your VIN and your, um, you know, MC number. You don't need any of that. The regulations don't require it. So why spend money on those markings if you don't need them? 
And those are the kind of things that, because I knew how much decals cost. And now if we're trying to outfit a hundred trucks with three extra decals that are 10 bucks a piece that we don't even need, that don't matter. Why waste that money? You know? And so, yeah, man, that's another, you know, if, you know, and uh, another goal that I've had is, you know, let me not just be this purveyor of truth, but also, hey, man, let me let me help you save some money. You know, I didn't have to post that video on how to get your free USDOT number. I didn't have to post a video I did a while back on how to file your business in Texas and not go use LegalZoom or one of these other third party entities that's going to charge you, you know, two to three hundred bucks on top of what you're going to pay the state of Texas anyways, because you don't need it, you know. Um, but, yeah, man, that's. You know, that, that, that leads me to a question, actually, because this is another thing that I, you know, figured, you know, had to figure out when I bought my truck, because there's probably an easier and cheaper way to do it. You mentioned him when we were recording live last time, JJ Keller, yep. and they're and I'm a, they're as they're an accounting and legal firm overall, but who JJ Keller is, right? Because I used them to file the 2290, which is that that the, the yeah. IRS Heavy, high, which for those of you who don't know, for every commercial motor vehicle on the road, there's a $550 heavy highway vehicle, motor vehicle tax that's paid every single year to the IRS for every single truck that's on the road, which is a lot of money and nobody knows where it goes. But that's an argument for a different day. But yeah. I went through J.J. Keller to do that. There's probably a way there's probably a way to do that without them. Online by yourself. Yeah. And I teach that in the class, you know, the, so every vehicle, every truck that's registered at 55,000 pounds or more, you only use the registered weight for heavy vehicle use tax. Um, but see, that's the thing is heavy vehicle use tax is an IRS requirement. It's not a DOT requirement, but why do I cover it in my class? Because it gets lumped into what we do as uh, compliance professionals, because if we don't pay our heavy vehicle use tax, we can't renew our registration with the state. You know what I mean? But I would have never known that if I only been in uniform, because I never asked on the side of the highway for a 2290. That's an IRS requirement. Why the hell do I care that it's it's not it doesn't need to go in your permit book? Um, but yeah, so it's every registered truck, 55,000 or more. And you're technically supposed to pay it when you start using the vehicle. And then again, on July 1st, uh, the reporting period is July 1st through June 30th. But yeah, like in the class, I tell them, go to the IRS website, make your account and you can pay that yourself. You don't have to pay. I forget how much JJ Keller charges. It's it's not like um, it's not terribly um, expensive, but, you know, if you pay them a 100 bucks every single year for 10 years, that's a thousand bucks you could have saved or whatever. You know, I mean. And that's why, like I said, man, I'm just trying to um, educate people on the reality of like, hey, there's actually only if you were going to be an interstate carrier. There is only one part of the process that you do need someone else's help, and that's a process agent when you're applying for your MC number. Other than that, everything else, your IFTA, your heavy vehicle use tax, your portion plates, your UCR, everything else you can get on your own. And I teach people how to do that in my class. And I teach it if they're going over the road or if they're staying in Texas to get your TXDMV number. I walk them through the process on how to do it. So, I mean, that's what I'm trying to explain to them. But it's not my word. I show them from these entities that sometimes are nonprofit organizations. I show them like they're the literature, right? So like when I talk about apportioned plates, 
you know, you're not going to find anything about apportioned plates in that J.J. Keller book. You have to go to the IRP website because that's the entity that governs a por the apportioned registration for the United States. And so when I talk about like the record keeping required for apportioned plates, it's not my opinion. It's what they require. So um, but I knew early on when I was going to start doing this class, I purposely put the citation or the regulation code because I knew people weren't going to believe me when I'm telling them the actual way it is, you know, and it's, it's like, more, it's more entertaining when I have drivers. Like I told you, man, like I had a driver in my class last week. He, he, and he just cracked me up because every other question started out with man, I always been told. And it just like cracked me up every time. And, you know, and, and then he was like thoroughly surprised. Just like most drivers that sit through, they're like, man, I was always told this or whatever. I'm like, dude, I, I mean, I know. I, and that's why, you know, in my presentations um, that hopefully I can get you one day to come sit in on, you'll see every slide has the regulation because if they don't believe what I'm saying, go read it in the book yourself. It's almost like, uh, like English class. I'm thinking of like high school and I'm thinking about going to college. English class, like APA style formats for, for writing papers. You right. always need to cite your sources. Yep. And it's almost like, you know, you're like, when am I going to need to do this? And it's, you know, somewhere along the line having to cite your source. Cause once you're, and man, does like, if you're going to start a business, if you're going to be in trucking, if you're going to be in transportation, that CYA covering your ass of knowing like, Oh, it's right here. And no, and like, it's the only way to truthfully, and it's like, it's the same thing, whether you're a doctor or you're writing a paper or a dissertation, you got to cite your sources. Yep. You're doing this. You're doing the same thing. People will be like, sure. Oh, but I was told. And it's like, well, you go right to the source and it just, yep. you can't, you can't question it from there. But I, I did have a, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned this when we spoke previously before we started recording. Now, when it came to starting your company, though, you were you were working on the company side. Something gave you a push to do this. You, you, um, you I think you just you, somebody somebody had asked you when you were like out and you were explaining something like, oh, this is what I look yeah. for. And somebody kind of gave you the little they kind of put the idea in your head. Yeah. yeah. So what had happened was that I was a corporate safety director for an oil field company based in Houston that owned five other oil field companies. Those five other oil field companies, they had their own company safety managers. I was just kind of their boss, you know. I wrote the company's programs, policies and whatever. I had to manage the entire safety program for the for the uh for the company. And uh one of the companies was based in Oklahoma, but they had a terminal in um Cheyenne, Wyoming. And another one in um, in North Dakota. And when I went up there to visit their their uh, terminals with that company's safety manager, we just had a little bit of downtime. And I was I had a group of drivers that I was, uh, you know, I was I was showing them what what uh, inspectors look for on a level one. And while I'm explaining, and I don't know what part I'm talking about, but it was intermittent conversation I heard between two drivers. And one of the, one of the drivers says to the other one, like he said, he made some kind of comment to the extent of, man, we'd never get this kind of information anywhere else. And it was that comment that really sparked in my head. 
I'm not getting paid to be a DOT person right now. I'm getting paid to be a corporate safety director, which I was getting a, a really nice salary, but I wasn't being paid for that knowledge, even though it was always asked of me, you know, like it was still, you know, every question got rerouted to me, even though we had a full safety department in Houston or a DOT department in Houston. And it was just that conversation. And I was like, man, you know what? that dude's right. You know, in my head, I'm like, I should be getting paid for this. And that was really when I decided um, that it was time for me to go do it. I mean, I had the idea back in probably about 2014 or so, but I'm really glad it didn't work out because there's no way that I would have been as confident to, to do that on my own until I had spent so much time on the company side. But then, you know, being a, being a, uh, an OSHA educated, you know, safety manager that gave me twice as much confidence. Right. Um, and you know, that's why it helps me out so much. Right. Because like, I can tell you, you know, on the DOT side, right. Like with your fire extinguisher, what are they going to check that it's a five or 10 BC rated extinguisher, whether you haul hazmat or not, it's got to be mounted. It's got to have a visual indicator to, uh, let you know if it's charged or not. UL rating presence got to be mounted. Right. On the OSHA side, what is the OSHA inspector going to look for? That it's got an annual service tag, that monthly inspections are being done on it, and that you have a familiarization training with the fire extinguisher because it's provided for employee use. So that's, again, what why I'm so confident at this level because I understand both areas so, so well now. And I don't think I would have been, I wouldn't have been that confident, um, you know, to go out on my own. Um, you know, almost four years ago now, had I not been so well versed in both areas of compliance, because they're equally important jobs. I mean, those two, a safety manager and a DOT manager, those are both two full time gigs. You know, they're they have their their uh, respective duties and responsibilities that, you know, it, and it sucks because the, you know, I also help companies like try to find someone for their company to manage their program. Um, but it's also kind of unfair because I expect everybody to be at my level, you know, and that's not realistic, but I also, you know, I want to make sure that whoever, and I've done this a couple of times with companies that I was contracted with. I said, okay, I think we're at a point where you need a full-time person. Let me help you find someone that's, that's knowledgeable enough to uh, take over the reins and now you're okay. You know, and um, one of those companies actually, even after they had a full-time they kept me on retainer because I have so much knowledge about litigation too, you know, not just with, you know, not just with, uh, with, with like trucking crash litigation cases, but even with workplace injury cases, you know, cause the process is exactly the same, you know, so I've got to, I've got to, you know, investigate both a workplace injury lawsuit, but then I, you know, primarily get asked to do the, you know, the truck accident, uh, you know, investigations or whatever. I don't think I got to mention to you, but also, I was also uh, one of the only uh, uh, commercial vehicle troopers in, in, in the entire state at the time that was part of a crash reconstruction team. So I got to go to all the advanced schools um, that the state has for the crash reconstruction. And, you know, I remember uh, when I showed up to those advanced schools, they have the the roster of everybody, right? And it'll say like, you know, Mike Lombard, Highway Patrol, Buda, Texas, right? Such and such, Highway Patrol, whatever. And then you get to mine and it says commercial vehicle enforcement. So everybody's in the class like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, but it was a it was a great experience, man, because, you know, at the t- I, I mean, I don't know how it works now, but at that time, I don't think there were, I'm not sure if there was anybody else that was on the commercial vehicle side, but that was also pa- part of a crash reconstruction team. So, you know, having that knowledge and then as I started working on the company side and working Rex on the company side, you know, that's where I came up with the crash investigation course that I um, have on my website now where I'm trying to coach like, hey, when your driver has a wreck here's what you need to do like following that wreck and i even go to the extent of like if your driver gets injured or your driver dies here's what else needs to happen um you know but it's just this wealth of knowledge man that like you know i tell everyone in my class what good would i have been doing the world if i just kept it to myself you know and if i was you know insecure about it i surely wouldn't be teaching all of you this and that's why most dot consultants safety consultants they don't teach you what they what they know how to do because then it takes away from their ability to make money off of your company. Oh yeah. No, hundred percent. That's uh that's well said. I think, I think you're providing a, an excellent service out there to a lot of people, a lot of it, which seems to also be for free. It's free knowledge. You give away, you're giving away free knowledge and intelligence on, on TikTok and stuff like that. I do have a, a question about, because this is starting to come into play more when it comes to safety. Are you, I don't know if I don't know if you are recommending, but are you seeing changes out there when it comes to carriers having, you know, the use of cameras in, in their in their trucks? I know it's a hot topic of conversation. Is there is this something you're seeing kind of speaking on in some of your classes and training? Yeah. So I tell I tell everybody that I think within probably two years, every insurance carrier is going to require cameras. And it ain't just the forward facing, it's the dash cams too. Like it, I mean, I think that's just where it's headed, you know, cause they all piggyback off of each other. Right. Like it's the same way that manufacturers, you know, there, there was one manufacturer that started putting turn signals on the middle of a trailer. Right. And then everybody else started doing it. That light, by the way, is not required. You're not required turn signals on the side of a trailer. It's only required on the back. So that's another one. I was, I was always told that light had to work. No, it doesn't. Um, Anyway, I think that within a couple of years, every insurance carrier is going to require both outward facing cams and inward facing cams, you know, and they they're they're equally as hurtful as they are beneficial, you know, because if you have one of those drivers that, you know, like I show I show those videos in my class, you know, show a video from a driver in Arizona that uh, covered the dash cam, covered the dash cam with his wallet because he's budging around on his phone looking at uh, chicks on Instagram and he kills a police officer that stopped on the highway for another wreck because he's distracted with his phone. So, yeah, I mean, I talk about those liabilities, um, you know, because I want them to go back to the companies and say like, you know, that driver is going to have to answer for that. And what are you going to say? And what I've also noticed too, that's been alarming Mike is in the, in the last, it's more recent now, but drivers are being sued individually too. And that's what they don't understand is, Oh, they think I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the company's truck. If something happened, it's all on them. No, you're wrong because what the company has is commercial insurance. That's going to pay most of the judgment that they get awarded. What do you have? Cause you're an individual, like you can be sued. And, and in the more recent uh, times, you know, when I see, when I'm reading about uh, these uh, litigation cases, you'll see that the title of the case is, you know, 
such and such family versus Mike Lombard and Lombard trucking. You know, it's not just the, it's not just the entity anymore. It's the individuals too, whether they're a company driver or owner operator doesn't matter, you know? And, um, you know, I talk a lot about criminal liability too. Um, try to get them to understand that, you know, the drivers have to understand, you know, when you get in a wreck, you know, civil litigation is going to follow, but your behaviors could also have led to criminal action before that criminal behavior. And so not only are you going to go do time in prison, but once you get out, you also have a civil judgment that's like lingering over your head. That's still arising from the case that you went to prison for. But the average driver doesn't think about those consequences when they're getting in the truck every day without doing a pre-trip, without whatever, you know. And then I even go to the extent of telling them, you know, like when when I get hired as a as a like a private investigator. Right. You know, if I if I if I know that this driver has a, has those behaviors, I'll go drive to their company yard and I'll go see if they have cameras on the outside of their, of their offices. And I'm hoping that one of them is pointing towards the, you know, the fence line where the trucks are parked, because then I'm going to tell that attorney, Hey, subpoena the, their, their camera footage from that day that the driver got in a wreck. So we can see if he actually did a pre-trip or not, you know, cause then I'm going to put the driver on the stand and say, Hey, did you do a pre-trip? Yep, sure did. How long was it? Uh, 30 minutes or whatever. Well, why is this video showing you just getting in the truck and leaving without doing a pre-trip? And I got you like your case is done right there, man. And I try to tell people or try to tell the students that. And this is this isn't anything, you know, um, it's not new, but like, why do these why do these frivolous lawsuits exist? It's because the carriers make it easy, you know, you make it easy by having that pattern of behavior of 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 getting constantly written up for equipment you have the behavior because you let the drivers go over their hours and now you have cameras that are showing them messing around on their phone not doing pre-trips like that's why these frivolous lawsuits exist it's because u.s carriers make it easy for them if you weren't making it so easy it wouldn't happen you know and yeah so cameras are a huge huge um uh you know because there's you know there's no disputing cameras your driver can all day long say they did something uh but the camera's going to show different you know so yeah it can hurt you but it can also help you just as much it's it's 50 50 but you know it all depends on the driver's behavior i mean that's you know the one like the whatever the the rule of law that yale has or whatever one of those high school one of those high like level education right is that you can have the best intention but if you, your behaviors lead you to do something different, you're not going to get the result you desire. And, you know, until you change those behaviors, both as carriers and as drivers, you're not going to get that intended result that you want. Um, yeah. And this kind of, yeah, once again, it kind of ties back in with, with everything that me and some other former guests of the show talk about is yep. the, uh, the reason why a lot of this is coming coming up and why safety has been sacrificed and is always being put on the back burner, why there's always new rules and regulations and the addition of these cameras, a lot of it boils down to sometimes the quality of, of driver. I mean, we have yeah. out there, I mean, we're, you know, we're at the point where in the U S and Canada, they are, you know, in theory, there are carriers who import drivers from overseas from their home countries and they 1099 them and they pay them garbage wages. And, these are some of the people you see on their phones. These are some of the people you get in the see, get seeing getting these accidents. And, you know, if, if, you know, if the barrier to entry was raised, would you start to see less of these violations? Would you start to see less and less of these violations 
would there be the the need for this constant harping on safety? It's just when when turnover is so high in an industry. I mean, imagine you're in law enforcement, and I I use this and I say this time and time again, but do you think the quality of, of law enforcement in Texas would be great if your turnover was, you know, if every three months was new cops and it's kind of the, the, the same thing. So it's such a, it's such a double-edged sword because carriers have a very important role to play. They're, they're an essential part of the yeah. American economy. And unfortunately the, the supply of cheap labor just keeps churning and, and burning. And what is and what people don't because and my friend Gord has used this analogy. We've taken our jobs, most of our manufacturing jobs, we've sent them to China or wherever. We're outsourcing, and right. you know we're going to start seeing broker. We've outsourced all of our all of our good blue collar jobs. I understand we still manufacture. That's a different argument, but we're uh, you know sometime in the 20th century we started sending our jobs overseas. The the United States wishes. We could export trucking overseas, but you can't because the trucks need to move within inside within the U.S. So they've done everything they can to re-regulate the industry, to uh, try to outsource the labor, to try to drive the wages as, as low as they have. And what gets set, what people don't realize is, sure, are goods being transported for cheaper? Yes. Is anything getting cheaper? No. But. And, but are, are things moving cheaper and do carriers are razor, razor thin and are corporations making better profits? Yes. But what's sacrificed? The American people in everything that you just listed, all this stuff that has to do with compliance, all of this gets sacrificed. It all comes kind of full circle back yeah. to that. And it's just so you, you and I are going to we're going to be doing the We're going to be doing this for probably the rest of our lives, you know, always, you know, we're, I'm going to be trying to advocate and your safety stuff. But one thing that leaves me hopeful is I think that your job is one that can, I think can the like the more and more you work and grow as a business, as a consultant, as, I mean, you're just at one college, because like you said, you're going online, the more we can duplicate what you do and continuously. And once it becomes, because like you said, w- when it comes to safety, if they start letting drivers go over hours of service, you don't take care of the little things, the big things, that's when the big things start crumbling down. And if you, and if you can get out there and duplicate what you're doing, I think once, because once you drop the standard, it becomes the standard. And that's uh, and that, and that's always a saying, the standard is the standard. And on your end, I think if what you're doing becomes the standard at every carrier at C- it, what you're doing should be in CDL schools like that. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be in the classroom. It needs to be being, it needs to be being taught by CDL instructors. Uh, you know, why in three days, you know, three to five days, a whole week of CDL school should just be everything you're talking about and getting that in and letting them know like, Hey, you don't need to just know where your triangles need to be for, for your, you know, uh, for your tests, for your written tests, for your permit, you need to know where those triangles need to be for your career. You need to know that fire extinguisher has got to be mounted for your career. You right. got to know this, whether you're going to be an owner operator or company driver for life, it doesn't matter. These are things guys need to know for, for their you know, duration of that they're going to drive. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's real easy and it sucks because, you know, if you were to read uh, in the regulation uh, 390.3 paragraph E, one says that a motor carrier must be knowledgeable of and comply with all the rules in this part, right? So in one sentence, they're saying, hey, you as Lombard Trucking, you need to know that whole green and white book. Paragraph two right below that says, 
that every driver shall be instructed in regarding the regulations and shall comply something along that nature. Right. So now they're putting the duty on the barred trucking to also educate the drivers in the regulations. Right. So it's real easy for me to say, you know, um, the reason that your driver doesn't know these is because you're not instructing them. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's really difficult, man. And um, when I think probably the most eye opening, um, the most eye opening part of my training is probably the equipment standards. Um, when I when I discuss like, you know, what technic what technically the regulations say, I think that's probably the one that the drivers have the most like, holy crap, I didn't know this. And yeah, I've had several of them say like, I wish they would teach us something like this class, this just even just the equipment itself, because I think they should have hours of service and the equipment um, in CDL school. Um, but they all say like, I wish that someone had a, someone taught this, you know, in, in, as part of their curriculum. And I agree, you know, like, you know, I, I really don't understand how you're going to go through four weeks of CDL school, but they don't give you the spe the specifics of what you have to check with your reflective sheeting, both on the tractor and the trailer, you know, like <laughs> those are the things you're going to get written up for. So, yeah, man, I, I wish that there was a, a better um, approach to it. You know, the entry level driver training is not it's not going to it's not solving any problems other than making it more expensive to get your CDL now. Um, you know, but it's all dependent, like you said, on the quality, man. Like that's the other thing is there's so many ELDT providers now that I mean, they're kind of like they're a dime a dozen. So it doesn't matter if this one charges four thousand or forty five hundred. But what's the quality of, of instruction you're going to get? So and if they're just looking to make a dollar, you know, they're going to be like that school in Lubbock that already got popped for, you know, giving the 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 driver certificates without them even setting foot in the truck <laughs> you know yeah. so it, you you knew that was already going to happen with that and uh so yeah man i mean it's just a matter of um i just really wish there was more drivers that were a little more um a little more uh willing to swallow their pride and swallow that ego and and admit that even though they've been driving for 10 15 years they don't know as much as they think they know. Um, and, and, but, but that, ha that's the individual person, you know, like, and those that do, man, I'm all for you, man. I'll defend you all day long with as much as with the 18 years of experience in my background, I will defend you and your company as best as I can. But when you don't have that approach, you're the kind of driver that I don't care to that I don't care about when I see getting grilled on the stand and can't answer these basic questions, you know, but it's all your mentality. It's your approach to, you know, I, I, I don't really hear as much anymore, man, but you're talking about the overregulation or whatever. Right. So I remember in 2017, 18, and maybe even a little bit recently, but more back then, but the implementation of the electronic logs, right. I get to hear so many drivers pissed off about that, right? And I say, okay, so take a step back real quick, man. Why do we have electronic logs? Because you guys were lying on paper. You're running two to three logbooks. You're killing people on the highway because you're too fatigued. But why are you mad at FMCSA? Why are you mad at DOT? You're doing it to yourselves. You know, like you as you're, you and your peers, you're the ones that's, that's regulating yourselves. 
because it's your actions that lead to these people dying or getting injured that they have to write these regulations, you know, um, you know, it's back. Un- yeah. It's un- we go into detail on that and it's unfortunate because you're right. Uh, it is that there's a reason why, and it's because the increase, of, it's because of the accidents happened, but kind of goes back to the previous argument of, it's been a long downward slope since the 1980 Motor Carrier Act, which deregulated the industry, which yep. turns to that quality of drivers. So the quality has gone down. And then mm-hmm. even since the ELD mandate, and this is, you know, straight from freight waves, you know, since the, the ELD mandate was supposed to fix it, but yet it didn't because it's, uh, you know, it's, but yeah, we, I, we talked about it because the, since the ELD mandate, fatalities and accidents have gone up and it was supposed to solve the problem, but that's because the ELD mandate didn't just it didn't solve anything it just no. threw something on drivers but that's the thing it's a the eld mandate like you said it's going to be the it's going to be the knee-jerk reaction so where it does fall on the drivers it similarly does fall on carriers too you know it definitely car- carriers are the ones who operate the business sure if, if they don't want more regulations they need to be listening to guys like you yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly see the other side, too, man. Like I I was on the company side. Like, I know, man, if, if we're not making money, what's the point of being a business? Like, I totally get that. But why are we going to, you know, jeopardize the entire operation when we don't need to? And that's the frustration I had when I was a company's, you know, DOT or safety manager is like, if you as the owner are willing to jeopardize everything you've invested in. Why should I care as the safety guy when I can just go work for someone else? And it was that frustration that, you know, I knew at some point I didn't want to work for someone anymore because that mentality like kills my motivation. And when you kill my motivation to want to better the program, who am I hurting? I'm hurting the drivers. I'm hurting the employees when I don't, when I start to not give a crap, you know? And, um, so, I mean, that was that the frustration I had on that side, too. But, you know, something I forgot to mention, you know, with uh, what you were talking about, the quality, you know, um, there's times that I, I tell my friends, you know, the longer I've been away from law enforcement, the more I dislike the profession, you know, not the people that I like, like my true friends that I love to death. But, you know, there's there's a there's a good amount that I don't like about it. And it's because, you know, it's like everything else where. You know, I'm sure on your side, you got the millennial drivers. Well, now you have the millennial police officers. You have the millennial troopers, you know, like um, that don't that don't that 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 don't take the pride in, you know, um, upkeeping that tradition. You know, and when I was a when I was coming out of the uh, the DPS Academy, that was already on its like tail end. You know, the the aura and the respect that you had for you know, the, the guys in those black and whites, you know, cause I mean, as a kid growing up, you know, I remember like, if you got pulled over by, you know, a County deputy or a police officer, you were like, and eh, whatever. But man, when it was that black and white, you were like, Oh man, like you're, you're done. Right. And that I really was sad to see that, um, that tradition, right. The, the, the high regard that they were held in, I, that was starting to go away even when I was still in, you know, and um, it came not only from the, the, you know, it, it, it didn't just come from the community side, right. Or the, you know, um, it came within the profession too, because there was people that were doing that job that shouldn't be. And, you know, um, 
people that didn't take pride. And, you know, that's the one thing I can say today, man, is like when I was in that uniform, I represented it as best as I could. And, um, you know, I, I just, these days it's just not the same, you know, all of my friends that are still in, they're like ready to retire. They're ready to get out. They're like counting down the days. And, you know, when you're starting to count down your days, you know, you're in the wrong profession. Like that shouldn't be your desire. It's like, Oh, I only got two years, three weeks, two days or whatever left. Like, you know, you're not even really living to, you know, to perform your duties. You're just waiting to retire. And, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty apparent to uh, people surrounding you. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's well said. I mean, I'm friends with, I know I have a lot of friends in law enforcement and they'll say the same things. Like I just got X amount of years before retirement. And I mean, you, you can say, you can say similar things to, 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 to drivers. Yeah. I mean, a lot left the industry from ELD mandates a lot left because yeah, the, the, any driver you talk to will always tell you. I mean, even my, I mean, my grandfather alone was somebody who told me never to get in a trucking because it'll never be what it was when, when he drove. And yep. now, and now here I am trying to fight to make it what it was when he did drive because of what I know it was when he, when he, when he, when he was driving. And it's, 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 it's funny. He'd be, he's definitely laughing at me right now, but it's true. Yeah. A lot of in the trucking industry, you talk to any guy, they've lost respect. We, we got a LinkedIn comment that just came in over here. This person saying, yeah, the industry is full of self-proclaimed experts. Those that can't be taught a new way. Those that have become complacent. I was taught long ago in trucking complacency kills and those who are willing to learn, Humbled by others' experience are the real winners. No matter a driver, DOT, even executive, we all have room to learn, improve, and go back. And it's true. I was told by a lot of drivers, hey, once you think you know it all, turn up, turn in your keys. But, man, yeah, there are people out there who, yeah, they'll, they're, they'll just do this job because it, it, you know, it pays for them. But there's no – yeah, there you know, there's no status to it. There's no, they're just waiting to retire. They're just waiting yep. for when they're going to hit win Powerball or something. And yeah, when people have that mentality going to work, it think about a job because like law enforcement and trucking are essential. You can't, we're not going to have a functioning society without either. Without with one, yep. Yeah, yeah, without either of them. But you know, other people, there's people who go through their lives. Maybe they work in sales. Maybe they work, you know, in an office, a high rise, wherever, and that's how they go to work. And they still get the job done, but they're unmotivated, but they're unhappy. Put that mentality now on some of your most crucial jobs where the people who are going into work are saying are literally don't want to be there. So, yeah, what safety is going to take a back seat? The quality of work is going to take a back seat. Everything is going to. And then we see the results. There was. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's I'm glad that I'm, I'm the comment that that person had was point was a point I've made, man, nowhere in on my website, nowhere in my material, nowhere, anything that I produce, will you ever hear or see anything claim that I'm an expert and anyone that claims that in any form, I am always very skeptical of because to, for you to say, even in, in my realm of compliance, for you to claim that you're an expert, when you do add the additional you know, regulations with hazmat and having the, you know, you look at the specifics to different types of tankers or whatever, like there's no way you're an expert, man. And, and it's crazy because usually the people that claim this, when you look at their website, they, they have no, they have no way to show that credibility, you know? And I mean, so how are you going to claim to be like this transportation safety consultant that has expertise 
with 16 years in the industry, but you have nothing to show for that. Why should I, you know, it's no, it's no, it's no surprise why you don't have a following because nobody wants to listen to you because you don't have a reason to be listened to. And, you know, that's, Again, you know, I'm not the most knowledgeable DOT person. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I know quite a bit, but I'm not the most knowledgeable. There's someone above me that knows way more. You know, I'm just giving my perspective as someone who enforced them, had to comply with them on the company side, and now is hoping to coach as many drivers and companies as I can and in turn save them as much money as I can so that they're not getting swindled by you know, these safety companies, these solicitors, these whoever, you know, because that's they're they're not if they're not willing to show you where it says what they're claiming, then why believe them? No, absolutely. I, I want to get you linked up and this could be a good episode in the future. There's a gentleman. He's a listener of the show. Good friend. Uh, hopefully we'll be talking soon. His name's Matt Matthew Leffler. He's a, he calls himself the armchair attorney and he's very he he's very knowledgeable on all things. Yeah, on the legal side uh, in transportation from yep. stuff with brokerages, um, a, a lot of stuff, really knowledgeable. I feel like you two guys should be, would de- are, are almost like a little, little match, match made in heaven on, on what both your knowledges can, mm-hmm. can do together. So we, we might have to set that up once I can, I'm going to talk, talk to him about that, but man, we've been, we've been ripping for a bit, a lot of great information here. There's definitely more we're get, I'm going to have you back. There's going to be some, Something that happens out in the trucking world where I definitely want to bring you back on, whether it's an accident or a court case. I know that sure. there's stuff always going on with Warner, so I'll definitely would love to have you back on. But but before before we sign off, I definitely want people to know where they can find you, where they can find what like where they can find you on social media, where they can find your services, you know, where and, and if you're speaking to and to any of the owner operators or guys who own fleets or anybody who's trying to stay compliant, where they can find your course and maybe what a little bit of what you got going on in the future. Yeah. So, um, my website, safety compliance and training.com. Um, I would really wish I had picked a smaller name, but the, the SCT, the SCT is actually my son's initial. So that's why I went with that, uh, with that, uh, name. But, um, though my, my website is probably it's, I have my schedule there. I have a description of the courses. There's PDFs attached to most of them where you can see what the schedule is, what the topics are. Um, and, uh, my TikTok's just my name, Santiago Talamantes. My YouTube is safety compliance and training. Um, I think those are really on the Facebook pages. I'm pretty active on that. Um, but my schedule is posted usually on Facebook. They're advertised. The course is advertised through Facebook, even the ones at the college. Um, like I mentioned earlier that um, this month was the first month that I transitioned to having an online training program only because I'm trying to get now at this point a higher reach, you know, because you got to remember these hours of service that we're following here in Texas are the same ones that are going to apply in Kentucky, that are going to apply in Utah, they're going to apply in North Dakota. I mean, it's all federal rules, right? Other than the specific intrastate hours we have right but um you know generally speaking that fed reg book applies across the country and you know i wanted to gain a following to you know have some credibility behind me where there was people that you know want that if they're going to attend the training they could see the reviews from people who have paid um but now with that i'm trying to expand it and and uh, have this online training program so like yesterday i did four hours talking to the the subscribers about how to pass their dot audit this morning, I spent two hours covering the hours of service where I talked about like, you know, adverse conditions, oil field operation, all of the exceptions, right? To hear about um, 
personal conveyance or whatever. Like I give my out, I, I cover the, the presentation, which is covers the regulation, but then I give my perspective on, you know, both enforcement and how I use, you know, utilize would utilize it on the company side. That online training program um, is also a cheaper, you know, it's also a more, a more cost effective um, uh, um, option, you know, cause I knew like not everybody can come in person. So I'll give you an idea of how much more that's beneficial, at least in my opinion, right? So if you're going to come sit with me for three days for 24 hours of training, you pay $1,500, right? But it's a one-time cost because I tell everybody, just come sit through this one time and you'll get, you'll have everything you need. I give them so many handouts, resources. I'm actually going to send you a few of them just so you can, you can see what they get. Um, but now with this online training program, I'm, I'm wanting to schedule at least probably 20 hours a month for $99, you know, and there, you don't have to commit, you pay one month and you don't like the, you don't like the training. You don't like the way I explain it, well then just cancel it, you know? So there's no commitment. Um, nothing I ever have available is, is commitment, you know, and I'm always, I've, I'm always, I've ne I would never want to sign something like that. So I've never, you know, had any, even if the companies that want a contract with me, I don't make them sign for a year or two, like these safety companies do, because I also know how the industry is, you know, some months are good, some months are bad. Hey, we need to skip a month or two. Cool. You know? Um, and, and I would never want to sign something like that. So I don't make them either. But anyway, that online training program is now my focus. Um, only cause now like I'm trying to again, not only one, reach a broader audience but i'm also like kind of sick of traveling and it's really nice to sit at home and do this but uh you know it's 99 dollars a month it's an online subscription you can go to my website uh to the training page and read about it you'll see my schedule that has the the topics covered each month and i'm just gonna switch you know every month just um you know just kind of cycle them um around and talk about different parts of the regulation talk about some other ones that i haven't been able to do um, in the in-person class, but it's just my perspective on all these things. And, um, just, and for your listeners, right. I decided to also offer them a promotion code through the end of this month. So if they go subscribe and in the promotion box, when you're going to pay through Stripe, if you put in there, please advise, they get, 10, <laughs> they get, they get 10% off for their sub subscription every month. So I'm, I'm going to um, put that. I, I, so in the link is here and they can buy it from the website. Yeah. So if you Good. go to the, if you go to my website, to the training page, you'll scroll under the calendar and you'll see the online training subscription service. And it's got a, the buy now button. It takes you to the payment page, but it allows you to put in a promotion code. And if you type it in and, and the, with the, I think the Stripe website just takes it in all caps, but just type in, please advise. And it gives them 10% off their subscription. And like I said, you keep it one month and you don't like the topics I'm talking about, or you just don't like the way that I present them. Well, then just cancel it. And you, what did you waste? 99 bucks. The average person spends $300 a month on fast food. So, you know, what is that really? It's not really hurting you. But yeah, like I said, man, it's, uh, you know, if you think about it, that's, you know, $99 a month, a year would be 1188, which is, still less than sitting with me for three days, but for 240 hours of training as opposed to 24, you know, and, you know, like every student that I've had that comes, they know that in my courses, I don't teach you my opinion. It's all law. You pay to learn the law and that's what I teach you. Yeah, no, I so, th those are really yeah. fair prices. And you just explained it earlier about how many things you can do for uh, staying compliant that you can do on your own. If the UCR, 
uh, IRP uh, 2290, all that stuff you just yep. explained. There are people out there paying compliance companies for those services. Mm-hmm. You can, and just, just through talking to you or sitting in a one class, there's your subscription right yeah, there. You, for- paid it, you paid it already. Yeah. You, you would have, you know, like that guy that paid the 3000 to that company for half of that, I would have taught, taught him how to do the whole thing, you know, on his own, whether you're going to go across state lines or stay in Texas. But, you know, like I said, even for, you know, the drivers, you know, even if you can't sit, you know, if you can't sit in on the zoom meeting, but maybe you have it playing while you're going down the road, maybe something I say just sparks in your head, you know, where, um, you know, I'm I'm teaching you the regulation. I'm not teaching my opinion. I certainly give my perspective on different uh, in di- in different aspects. But, you know, you don't pay me for my opinion. You pay me to learn what the law says. And that's what I'm going to teach you. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, I think it's um, for that much. And then now with uh, seeing that I'm I'm going to tell you the right way, I'm not going to steer you in the wrong direction. You know, some people will think it's worth it. Some think it won't but you know those that do i will you know do my best to try to defend you and cover you and teach you everything i can that i've learned in 18 years and you know put you on that path where you're not going to be that company or that driver that is uh misinformed or um not able to explain things when they need to no absolutely man this is awesome i really appreciate you coming on with the this is definitely there's definitely going to be Another time I bring you on, we're going to have a lot more discussions. You're only, you're only so far from me. So we're coming down, we're getting a beer soon as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. So my, uh, my son's, uh, got a district cross country meet tomorrow morning and he's, um, he should be making it to state. So we should be going up to round rock, uh, the first week of November. So maybe, uh, maybe that'll be a, a stop in Buda for me on the way to oh, yeah. round rock for his uh, oh, yeah. state cross country meet. So, Yeah. Yeah, man. Be in touch for sure. But uh, right. with the, yeah, with that, bump you out, close out the show. And uh, no, I appreciate you. We'll have you on yeah, again no. soon, sir. All right. Appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Take care. Guys, that's going to do it for episode 98. Awesome episode. If you stuck around this long, a lot of good information in here. Um, take with it what you can for those, for those of you driving out there. Keep those triangles, lights, air pressure, all that stuff. Take care of the little things. The big things will take care of themselves. And you go to safetycompliance You want access to his services. Use that promo code. Please advise. Get a little bit of discount. More to come. Great to be back in the saddle. I know I haven't met, dropped an episode in a few weeks. It's really good to be back to get the get the rust out of the elbows. I love talking with y'all uh, and uh, interacting with the you know with the live comments that come through. Definitely a lot more to come. There's been a lot of hot topics going on with the TQL lawsuit uh, and other you know, transportation nonsense, you know, it's always, everything's, you know, there's always something going on in the world of logistics, but with that guys, it's going to be back to the bench.